0: Today's scripture reading is going to come from the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I invite you to turn over there with me. Uh, you know, when we plan the scripture reading that we're doing, as a, a year-long scripture reading plan together as a church, I didn't try to line up reading about Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, but God can do that. And so he has uh, made a way when there seemed to be no way, you could put it that way. And so we are going to not only read this week, but we are going to hear, I hope, from God from chapter 21 of Matthew. And we're going to start with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth, Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you have a seat, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is our ministry for those who are four years old through second grade. And they can meet right over here with our Kingdom Kids workers, where they're going to have a chance to worship and learn at their level right next doors in the upstairs of the Christian Life Center. And so parents, you can pick them up from there after service today. And I forgot to mention, uh, as we talk about Easter next Sunday, and I'm encouraging you to bring someone, we do have invite cards. There's a little uh, card holder, business card holder right here with some invite cards, some on the back where the lamp is, some on the table as you exit in the foyer so you can find a card. Grab a few, put them in your pocket, and invite folks as you see them out and about this week and let them know they are welcome here at First Baptist Kennedy. We would love to celebrate Easter with them. Okay, let's pray together. Would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the chance to come together on Sundays and to worship you. Often we say we're grateful that in your wisdom you have given us this day. And on this day that we call the Lord's Day, the day in which we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. God, we are in this place to hear from you, to experience you, to be obedient to you, to hear your voice and follow your voice as sheep follow the voice of their shepherd. So I pray that you would speak to us. Jesus, we would look to you in all things and desire to be like you because your spirit lives in us and helps us not only to desire but to be faithful in it. So, Father, we pray that you would speak and we would listen and we would obey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we call Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, it is the beginning of this Passover feast for which Jesus goes to Jerusalem along with his disciples. And Jesus enters Jerusalem not as a king, not as a king, not as a king king among other kings, but Jesus enters Jerusalem as the king above all other kings. In our language today, we may say that, that Jesus is the boss's boss, right? He is the top of the organizational chart, not just one, but all organizational charts. He is king of kings. And if you're a Christian or maybe you're here or you're listening in and, and you're exploring Christianity and, and you want to understand it and perhaps you you God is leading you to embrace it, I think it's important for us to recognize that when we invite Jesus into our life, when when he speaks and we respond, what we are responding to, what we are recognizing in Jesus is not that just he came to save us, but that he also comes and intends to be our king, to be our Lord. Not just Savior, but Savior and Lord. Now, sometimes we, we can resist that, right? We, can, we like the idea of Jesus coming and saving us through his death and resurrection. But sometimes we just want that saving part and we don't want that lording part, that kingship part. We like one, but we leave behind the other. Now, sometimes that's because, you know, let's be honest, we kind of like being in charge of our own life. Sure, we've made a mess of it, yeah, but we like that freedom, We like to call our own shots. We want to be our own boss, right? And so that desire within us can battle against this idea of Jesus not only being our Savior, but also coming to be our Lord. And in fact, it's not one or the other. It's both or neither. But we also may resist the idea of Jesus being our Lord or being our boss because we've had people in charge of our life before that didn't do such a great job. It may have been our parents. It may have been a, a, someone at school that was over us. It may, it may be a, you know, that first job or maybe your job now and you've got someone who is, who is in charge of you. And it's, it's not great. At worst, perhaps they are abusive. But still, even if it's not that, maybe they take advantage or maybe they take credit where they shouldn't take credit. Maybe they're just kind of a grouchy person and, and hard to deal with. You know, sometimes those people who have authority in our life aren't always the best people. And it's possible that we resist the lordship or the kingship of Jesus in our lives because we haven't had great examples of others who have authority in our life who do it very well. But we don't want to transfer that over onto Jesus. Wouldn't it be better to ask what kind of Lord is Jesus? Rather than assuming or projecting onto Jesus what kind of king he intends to be in our life, maybe we should just look at Jesus. And how he described his own kingship, his own lordship in this world and particularly in our lives. And maybe we'll get an idea of who Jesus actually intends to be as king of all of us. And I think this is where the triumphant, sometimes we call it the triumphal entry or the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on this first day of of what we now call uh, the Holy Week leading up to Jesus' death on Good Friday, which would be this coming Friday, and of course the resurrection one week from today, what we call today Palm Sunday. I think something that takes place in this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as a king of all kings, it speaks to us and tells us the kind of king Jesus intends to be in our lives. Now as often is the case with Jesus, there's some things that, We expect and there's some things that we don't expect now for Jesus disciples and the people around him who were Jewish like him You know, they had a book The Old Testament and from that Old Testament there were prophecies about this King of Kings this 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 uh, prophet that would surpass all other prophets This Savior of the world this one who for whom you would sing Hosanna, which means he saves or saves, right? that they had prophecies about this. This this was something they were anticipating and looking forward to. I don't know about you, but everything you anticipate and look forward to doesn't always turn out exactly the way you thought it would, does it? And so it was for them. They were anticipating, expecting Jesus or expecting someone like Jesus, a savior, a Messiah. Messiah means anointed. That's the that's a uh, the Hebrew phrase, the, the Greek is Christ, they're the same word. They both mean anointed one, and, and that was a way of, they would pour oil on the king's head to anoint him, saying, God is covering this person, God is with this person, this is God's chosen one to uh, appointed to accomplish this task. And Jesus is that one that they were anticipating. And so they responded in ways you would you would think that they would you know respond with when you're ex- When the long-awaited king finally arrives, the one that's supposed to be the the king of all kings, finally shows up, some of their response makes absolute sense to us, right? Now, we're told that this is Jesus' disciples. Now, I'm going to go back and forth between some other gospel accounts of this because this, uh, this is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This triumphal entry is told in all four. So I'm going to kind of bring those together and synthesize it for you. But we're told that the group that is surrounding Jesus when he enters Jerusalem are indeed his disciples. And they are shouting, Hosanna, which means, as I said earlier, saves. He who saves. One of the things we see them doing is they put their cloaks on the borrowed donkey as well as on the ground. And what does that kind of conjure in your mind? It makes us think of, of a group of people who recognize the authority of, of the one who is with them. I take my jacket off, put it on the donkey. I take my jacket off, put it on the ground for them to walk over. It's recognizing he is high and above, right? He is their leader. Now, then, he, then they take palm branches. Now, I thought this was interesting, because I was reading over this. It's like, where does it say they wave palm branches? And it actually doesn't say that. In the Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, none of them say anything about them waving palm branches. Now, it's inferred. We kind of think that they probably did that kind of thing. But what we do know is they laid those palm branches down on the ground for Jesus to walk over as he rode the donkey. Now, now that had a lot of symbolism, believe it or not. That that palm branch was was a symbol of, of the Jewish nation. And this act was a symbol of victory. They were anticipating that this king of kings is coming to bring us as a Jewish nation, a Jewish people, victory. And so that's where we get the term Palm Sunday. I think if you kind of did a little background on this, all of these things you would expect, but there's some things that take place that you don't expect the Messiah to do. This one that they've been waiting on, the one that... They were hoping for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds actually more so years and the thing that stands out which is done to fulfill old testament pro- prophecy about this king of king coming is that he rides in on a donkey now maybe you've heard this said before in a service like this before That, you know, you might anticipate that a king who comes as king above all other kings, he would pick a more majestic animal than a donkey. If you've worked with a donkey, then you understand. I have had to work with a donkey once before. It was once, and then that was it. I realized very quickly, donkeys have a name, a nickname, for a reason. I'm not going to say what it is. You know what it is. They are difficult to deal with. They're not exactly beautiful and majestic. You know, you would think maybe he's going to come in on a, on a stallion, a big white horse representing victory. You would think he would come in with a parade of soldiers representing strength. This is not how Jesus comes. In fact, he doesn't even have his own horse. He doesn't even have his own donkey. He borrows one. Jesus comes on a borrowed colt, in fact, and it's fulfilling this prophecy found in the prophet Zechariah in the ninth chapter, in the ninth verse. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion! Shout, daughter Jerusalem! See your come your your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now you may notice in there that's a little different than what you read in Matthew 21, verse 5. There it says, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. If you go back into the Old Testament uh, scripture that it's referencing here, it doesn't use the word gentle, it uses the word lowly. Now, now there's the reason for that is because the scriptures that Jesus' people handled in that day was a translation of the Hebrew because not all of them spoke Hebrew. Their common language was Greek, so they took it out of the Hebrew, put it into Greek, and that's what they wrote, read. Their Old Testament was from a Greek manuscript of the Old Testament that was written in Hebrew, and that was, that was called a Septuagint. Now, that's a little off track, but I think it's interesting because you put these things together and you get a picture of who Jesus is, that he is gentle and lowly. Now, this is, uh, I think this is pretty cool, because this is exactly how Jesus describes himself. When you look at scripture and you see how Jesus describes himself, he uses, these exact, he uses these exact words. He is gentle and he is lowly. Matthew chapter 11, these are the words of Jesus. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. And heart, humble and lowly, same idea. When Jesus describes himself, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus intends to be that kind of Lord of our lives. He intends to be that kind of king of our lives. He intends to be that kind of boss, one who is gentle and lowly, or gentle and humble. This is how he describes himself, and this is the symbolism of him riding into town, not on a stallion, but on a lowly donkey. So here's the question I think we can ask is, what difference does that make in our life? How do we take this idea that Jesus comes to us as a king who wants to be Lord, who desires to be in charge. And he tells us the way he intends to operate by and large is one who is gentle and lowly. Now, let me say before we dig into what all that means is that Jesus was not always gentle and he was not always lowly. At least not in the way we understand if you read the whole picture of of Jesus there are times where he is angry there is time where he talks about accurately who he is as the Son of God and Savior of the world but when he describes his overall nature and how he intends to rule he describes himself as gentle and lowly so of course he's more complex there's more to him that we could pack into one sermon, but I want us to focus on these two descriptive words that he chooses for himself and these two words that I think this triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, is meant to communicate that this king is not like other kings. This boss is not like other boss. Jesus intends to come as one who is gentle and lowly. And so I think we can ask ourselves, what difference does this make in our lives? What does that mean for us to accept a Jesus, first of all, who is gentle? We see Jesus being gentle with those who come to him heavy laden, burdened down. Whether it's through the weight of their own sin, their own guilt, or, or whatever it might be, whatever's weighing them down, we see Jesus saying, come to me, if that describes you. Come to me. If you are broken, come to me. You see Jesus receiving one broken person after another. From those who are blind from birth, to those who have royally messed up their lives and have entered into sin, to those who are the outcasts in the society in which he ministered. You see him being gentle with all of these people who would come to him seeking his help. Now, this is key, because those who did not come to him seeking his help didn't meet such a gentle Jesus. Oftentimes, they met a a Jesus who had a few challenging words to speak to them. We could put it that way. But for those who knew they were in need of help, and they came to Jesus, what they found was a gentle Lord, a gentle King. And that would have gone against all notions of any other king. Other kings did not always have or even often have that kind of attitude. In fact, if you disappointed most kings, disappointment led to dismemberment. We've seen that happen in the Bible. If you displease a king, he can just do away with you. That doesn't sound all that gentle to me. But this is not who Jesus is. Jesus says, I come as a gentle king. And what that tells me is his gentleness means we don't have to hide. If he is a warrior king who is bent on destroying all who are weak and heavy laden, we would hide. And some of us, that is how we think of God. We see God as the punisher in the sky. The one who wishes to judge us and, per- and, 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 and discipline us out of anger And Jesus says, no, I am gentle. Now again, there's a lot of other descriptive words that paint a fuller picture of Jesus when it comes to his wrath against sin and that he is a judge of justice. All that is true. But listen to how Jesus is describing himself. He is one who is gentle. Gentle to who? Those who come to him in need. Jesus' gentleness tells me I do not have to hide from him. I can bear my soul. I can tell him anything and everything. I don't have to pretend like I've got it all together. I can simply come to Jesus as we have sung in our time of invitation before, just as I am. There's another prophetic word spoken about Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 20. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed, just imagine, you know, just a, 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 a wheat blowing in the wind that's maybe broken a little bit. And just, just a little, little push is gonna sever that wheat in half. Or, or you imagine maybe a campfire that, that is almost out, you see just a few flickers left and all it would take was just a little bit of water and that thing is going to be snuffed out. And let's be honest, that's, that's where we're at sometimes. We, we are that bruised reed. And just, just one, if I have one more difficulty, I am just done. I'm out. I quit. This is too much, right? We are that smoldering fire. It's just you know, just a, if, I, if, I, if I don't get a little wind here, if I don't get a little fuel here, if, some, if I don't get a little tending to here, I'm just flat out. We can be in those places. And Jesus' word to you and to me is, come to me. I am not one who will break a bruised reed. I am not one who will smolder the wick or or will snuff out the smoldering wick. That's not me. I'm gentle. You can come to me. You do not have to hide. You know what happens when we come to Jesus and we find his gentleness? You You know what that does for us? It makes us gentle. Softens our heart, helps us to be less judgmental and harsh and rude and hateful. Like when we see the mercy and grace of Jesus shown to us in this gentle way, man, it moves us to be like him. Now, the second thing that we see here about Jesus is not only is he gentle, but shockingly, he's humble or he's lowly. He is One who he said of himself in Mark 10, 45, one who did not come to be served, but he came as one who was to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. He's humble. He's humble in his relationship with his father that when he's in the garden, which takes place a little bit later in Holy Week, that there he is praying and wanting not to experience the results of our sin. But he says in the end, not my will, but your will. What is that? That is humility. Jesus comes as one who is humble. His very birth paints the picture of a king who is humble. Born in a stable, not in a palace. His death paints the picture of one who is humble. A king who comes to Jerusalem to what? To die. Not to be placed on a throne. Everything about Jesus' life tells us, I think, that he is humble. A man God in the flesh who is humble now what does that tell us about Jesus's humility well like I said before we've all experienced someone who's been had authority in our life who maybe has been in charge of some portion of our life and they handled it very poorly right now let me ask you this if you had someone in your life like that did you joyfully submit to them or you did you begrudgingly submit or even disobey? When you have someone who is not humble, someone who is prideful, someone who makes it all about them, who's always thinking of themselves, if you, if you have to work underneath, serve underneath, live underneath someone who is not humble, someone who is, in fact, prideful, let's be honest, humbly submitting to them is not easy. But Jesus says, I come as one who is humble, lowly. What does that tell us? It means his humility helps us to joyfully submit. Because we can't lose sight of this fact Jesus came as Savior and Lord. He does intend to be in charge. He is here as our boss. He is the one calling our shots. But he's not making it about himself. He does it for the glory of his Father and for our good. Listen to how Paul describes this Jesus who is humble. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, In your relationship with, uh, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, what is Jesus' mindset? Verse 6 of Philippians 2, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He is a king of kings who does not use his position as king of kings to his own advantage, Paul says. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Going back to what he said in Mark ten forty five, I do not come to be served, but to serve. Give my life as a ransom for many. That's exactly how Paul wraps it up. And being found in human appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross this is the humility of jesus and his humility leads us i think when we really think about who this is that desires to be in charge of my life it leads me to humbly and joyfully submit because this is the kind of king who's in charge Now, I want to circle back to something we read at the beginning of Matthew, something I thought was kind of interesting. You know, he doesn't have his own donkey, right? He sends his disciples to find one, but it's not one, is it? It's two, right? It's a donkey and what? A colt. Now, there's some speculation that, uh, you know, this is a, you know, this is a mother donkey and a child. That's what the colt is, right? And that... Perhaps he comes riding on a colt because a colt had never been ridden before. We know that that's true. A cult colt had never been ridden before. It's some kind of symbolic, you know, God was saving this special moment for this colt, first time to be ridden, to be ridden by Jesus. But there's a, that's a bit of speculation. But let me tell you, you know, what we can say pretty definitively is you wouldn't take a colt that's never been ridden, separate it from its mother, and then try to ride it. That's a problem waiting to happen, right? That mother cult is going to come next to that, or that mother to the cult is going to come next to the cult and it's going to provide stability and calmness. It's going to help that cult to relax. That Jesus would have a little bit less of a bumpy ride. I think there's something in that for us. Don't go it alone. You need, I need someone to walk next to us to help us be gentle and lowly. Remember how Philippians starts out. Paul is not just talking about in generalities. He's saying, in your relationship to one another. Let's be honest. It is hard to be gentle and lowly. It's hard to be gentle with people that just, you know, they just seem to want us to slap them in the face or something. I was like, why are you acting this way? I don't understand, right? Like it's hard to be humble sometimes when other people want to take the credit for your good ideas, right? Gentleness and holiness our lowliness doesn't, does not line up with our sin nature. These are difficult things. How are we to live out gentleness and lowliness? It's not going to happen unless we're like that cult and we are walking side by side with someone who is gentle and lowly. That mother who is calm and relaxed. That's what we need. And that is who Jesus is to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. All of us who are burdened with the fact that gentleness is not our first reaction when someone upsets us. All of us who wishes to be humble but wants to make sure everybody recognizes, do they see how humble I am? I hope they're seeing this because I'm being super humble right now, right? Those of us who are burdened with that kind of challenge, Jesus says, come to me, take my yoke. Learn. That's another way of saying, like an ox, come beside me, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is who Jesus is. This is who he is as our Savior, and this is who he is as our King. Let's pray. Father God, it's amazing that Jesus, who represents all of your character in himself, who is God in the flesh, could be so described as gentle and humble. And I pray that that would just free us up, not only to come to you with our burdens, but to submit our lives to you. That we might mirror him in our homes, among our friends, in our school, in the workplace. And others might know that this Jesus, who is King of Kings, comes as one who is gentle and lowly. So help us to come to you, help us to submit to you, help us to walk beside you and learn from you. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, maybe for you, uh, there's all sorts of things that maybe God is prompting in your heart. Maybe it's just resisting coming to him in the first place because you feel like you've just blown it beyond God's grace. Let me tell you, that's not true. Look at how gentle Jesus was with his apostle Peter who denied him three times. Go read about that. His gentleness with someone who loved him and failed him. He was so gentle. That you would come to him. Or maybe for some of you, it's this idea of of submitting to Jesus. You want some religion in your life, but you don't want a king to sit on the throne of your heart. Maybe it's letting go of that idea and just saying, you know, I see this humble king and I do want him in charge. Maybe there's some area of your life where you're just struggling to hang on and you need to confess that to God and ask him, no, I want you to be in charge of this. Or maybe it's how we're living these things out and we're not mirroring Jesus in our gentleness and humility. We have some things there to confess. However, the Lord leads don't, don't leave this place without talking to him about the ways in which he has spoken to you. And that's what our invitation is for. If you need to pray, you can come down front and pray. Pray where you're at. However the Lord leads, let's respond to him. Would you stand with me as we have a time of invitation?